The following audio is from Harvest Fellowship. For more information about Harvest Fellowship, visit harvestabq.org. Harvest, uh, y'all are uh, y'all. You guys are uh, in for a treat this morning. Um, we have a special guest speaker today. Uh, his name is Jamie Montero. Uh, he's very quickly becoming a friend of mine, a good friend of mine. Uh, he's a good friend of Pastor Jason's. Um, I don't know that you guys would believe me or not, but uh, Pastor Jason got him uh, into fishing like crazy. Like he's like become this crazy fisherman. Uh, I don't know if you believe me or not that that Pastor Jason has that. Ability ability to get people into fishing, but he has. Uh, I was having dinner with him last night, and he was showing me about five million pictures of all these fish that he caught and stuff, and so uh, he gets along real well with Pastor. If you love fishing, you'll get along with Pastor. So um, Pastor Jamie, is uh, he is an evangelist. Uh, he's been doing ministry for 25 years, um, and, and it's been an honor to get to know him. I got to go hunting with him uh, a couple months back, and so I got to know him a little bit then, and, uh, and so he's here to preach this morning. He's here to deliver the word today. And so uh, let's give it up for him as he comes this morning and shares with us this morning. I love you. Good morning, church. Man, I, I have to brag on, on Pastor Jason for, yeah, he, he did get me addicted to fishing. And uh, I just want you to know you have truly one of the greatest pastors in all the world. And, and I'm not just saying that. Uh, I, I know I, in my phone right now, I probably have about 3,500 pastors. I've preached literally in 15 different countries to a little more than 2 million people over the last 25 years. I've, I literally have earned uh, and flown 3 million miles. Can I tell you that if I was someone who is in need, and it was a moment back in April, that I was just in a place of weariness, just in a place of exhaustion, and I got to hang out with Jason and Derek and Pastor Michael. And I'm telling you what, they literally were like a spiritual breath of fresh air to me. And so I just need you to know that you truly do have some of the greatest pastors. And Jace and Nick, they become instant friends of mine. And uh, you need to thank God that not only has God connected you with them, but uh, that they are truly God's best. Amen? Amen? I want you to stand to your feet. I need to give you a little bit of a heads up real quick. I'm going to preach a message that's probably for the, about the first two-thirds of it. You're going to look at me like a calf looking at a new gate going, what in the world is that? But I promise you, you're going to look at me like I'm preaching heresy. You're going to be questioning everything like, does Pastor Jason really know who he brought in his pulpit while he's gone? But I promise, me, I promise you, if you'll stick with me. At the very end, that God's going to begin to reveal something to you. And I believe that this word is going to be for every person in this place. Those that are searching, those that are bound, those that are stuck, those that are addicted, those that are hurting and feeling helpless. God's about to do something in your life. I woke up this morning with that scripture. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to his power... Not around us, but at work within us. And you may not realize this, but God's doing something. He has set you up. He is behind the scenes. He is about to reveal something to you. And I believe that your greatest days are ahead of you. And I believe that God's about to pour out on this earth like never before. So I want you to do me a favor. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to go to that place where decisions are made.
And before you know my title, my topic, or my text, I want you to make a decision right now. It's between you and God. It's not between your, your spouse and you. It's not between you and your kids, your job, your, your, your employer, what, how you're physically feeling right now. It's about you and God. And you need to make a decision today. Either you're going to continue to try to have your way with God or you're going to finally surrender and allow God to have his way with you. And if you're here and you're willing to say, I want God to have his way with me. And I, know, I don't care what it sounds like, feels like, looks like. I don't care what other people think. I just simply want God to speak to me. And I want God to have his way within my life. If that's you, I want you to volunteer by raising both of your hands all over this place. You want God to speak directly to you. And if that's you with your hands raised, I want you to pray this very dangerous prayer with me. It's dangerous because it's biblical and it works. If you're ready for God to speak, say these words with me. Say, Jesus, today is my day. Speak to me and transform me by your word. Give me eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart and a mind that's ready, willing, and able to believe and receive every word that you would speak into my existence. I give you full permission and access to do what only you can do. But from this moment on, you have my attention. So have your way. In Jesus' mighty name, everyone said, amen. You may be seated in heavenly places. I'm, I'm beyond excited to be with you this morning. I've been literally been all over New Mexico for the I'm, I'm in New Mexico literally every week this this month. And and uh, uh, Jason wrote, he goes, well, why in the world don't you have your credentials in New Mexico again? I'm from Colorado. My bride and I am we're getting ready to celebrate 29 years of marriage. Come on, somebody. She will have a bigger mansion in heaven than I will because <laughs> she had to put up with me. But I will say this. I call her my bride to this day. A lot of times I'll get on planes and, and uh, I'll, I'll be talking and somebody will say, like, are you married? And I'm like, yeah, my bride. And I'll be get just talking about her. And they're like, oh, congratulations, you just got married. And I'm like, yeah, 29 years ago. And they're like, why do you call her your bride? Because the Bible says a contentious wife is like a dripping faucet. I don't want one of them. <laughs> so I'll just keep her my bride. Jesus never referred to his church as his wife. That'll preach. Maybe I'll come back in February. But I have three beautiful children, two beautiful grandbaby girls. Can I tell you grandbabies are our reward and our revenge. But we've been traveling for 25 years. We've just had the opportunity. This year, we've seen more outpourings of God than ever before. More salvations. More breakthroughs. But I need you to do me a huge favor, and we're about to get into this, this word. But if you have a Facebook or an Instagram, I need you to do me a huge favor. I need you to follow us. Because Facebook got the crazy idea that they're going to start paying me and my bride to, because we present a positive message. I said, you do know I'm a minister, right? And they said, yes, just keep up the positivity. This platform is filled with negativity and criticism. And literally, we get paid for every comment, every like. If you don't like, I have a ton of fishing pictures, a ton. If you don't like them, put a thumbs down. I still get paid for it. 
But it is a way that God is using the wealth of the wicked stored up for the righteous to, to continue to help this gospel go forth. Literally, Meta is paying us to continue to go on the road. So please jump on our Facebook. It has a, a, my, my page has a picture of me and my beautiful bride. And then hers uh, is, is with, with Shrek. <laughs> but I want to preach to you a message today. And I promise you that this is a word for every person here. Turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 24. We're going to read the, verse, the first 12 verses. Luke 24, 1 through 12. Has anybody in this room, and maybe I'll, I'll just answer my altar call myself, but anybody in this room ever felt like God didn't hear you, God didn't see, God didn't care? Even the disciples, when they were in the boat and the, the wind and the waves were coming up and they were going through a storm, and Jesus, he felt like he was at, they felt like he was absent. He was at the bow of the boat. And one, one translation says that he was asleep on a comfortable pillow. And the disciples went to Jesus and said, Don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care that we're going through this? Don't you care? A lot of us feel like that. And this prayer, this literally sermon came out of a prayer time where I just went to the Lord and I was just frustrated. I was, I was discouraged. I was doing everything I knew to do to be faithful to him. And it felt like he was doing nothing in return. I'm just being honest. Is it right if I just get honest? Because I'd rather be honest and stand before God. Because I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Your opinion of me doesn't matter. Because your opinion of me is none of my business. And your opinion doesn't pay my bills. But I got to stand before God. And as a preacher, I stood before God in a prayer time and I said, God, it feels like I'm doing everything to be as faithful. And it feels like nothing is happening and nothing is, is being done in return. And out of that prayer time came this message. But I want to open it up with this psalm. We, we quote it in hurting times, in discouraging times, in funeral times, in lost times, in questioning times. And it's found in Psalms 23, verse 1. And I promise you won't even have to. That's why I didn't have you turn there because you can quote this. Psalms 21, or 23, verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd and I lack nothing. Say that with me. Say nothing. nothing. Do you know that? God provides everything that we need. That he is the air that we breathe. He is the beating of our heart, the sight of our eyes, the hearing of our ears, the, the, the strength within our ability to walk. He's our everything. But this scripture, a lot of times we look at scripture and we're saying, well, what is it saying? A lot of times you have to look at scripture and says, what is it saying without actually saying it? And this particular scripture says, the Lord is my shepherd and I lack nothing. And we look at it like there's nothing that we lack. We have everything that we need, that God provides everything. But God, I believe, is prophetically speaking here through his servant. And he's saying there is something that you're lacking. And it's the reason that you're in the mess that you're actually in. It's the reason that you're facing the things that you're facing. It's the reason that you feel frustrated and discouraged and deflated. You're lacking something and it's called nothing. See, Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. Let me just read this, and then we're going to jump into this. 
It says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood besides them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? I could stop there and preach an entire message. How many of you know we've been looking for life in the wrong places? We've been looking for the living and the dead. They said, why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? He is not here. Can I tell you that life was given a name? Life was given a face. And it was Jesus. He says, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you that while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Remember that part. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the other the others. It was Mary Magdalene. It was Joanna. It was Mary, the mother of James and the others who told these things to the apostles. But watch this now. The ones that should have believed the most, the ones that should have known better. When they said that the tomb had been empty and that Jesus had been risen. They're telling it to the disciples, the eleven. And it goes on and it says these words, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. One translation says their words seemed like nothing. Peter, however, got up and he ran to the tomb, bending over. He saw the strips of linen lying there by themselves and he went away wondering to himself, what has happened? Heavenly Father, I ask for the next few moments that you lend me your voice. They don't need my opinion. They definitely don't need my advice. But what they need from you, your beloved congregation, your people, your sons and daughters, what they need is a word from you in this season. So I pray that you would hide me behind the cross. Make me invisible. Help me to disappear. I'm nothing more than a messenger, a microphone that you're speaking through. So Holy Spirit, I need your help. Have your way. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen. I want you to follow with me for just a moment. Jesus is known as the author and finisher of our faith. Satan is known as the author of confusion, correct? But you know, as a matter of fact, and I can take scripture, if we had all day long, I could take scripture and expose that ever since Jesus stepped foot on this earth, even in the form of a pregnancy, even in the form of a manger, Jesus has brought nothing more than confusion. I told you you'd look at me strange. He's brought nothing more than confusion. Here's what I mean. Imagine a 14-year-old little girl has an encounter with an angel, and the angel says, Mary, blessed be you, for you shall be the mother of Emmanuel, God with us, the very son of God. Now, Mary knew what it took to have a baby. She hadn't done it. The confusion she must have felt going, well, how will this be? Read about it in Luke where she says, how will this be? And I, the angel says, well, I'm glad you asked. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the one that's going to be born of you will be the Son of God and his kingdom will never end. And I love her response, be it unto me. Just ha I don't have to have all the details. I don't even have to have it figured out. I just, just say, Lord, let it be. 
Imagine the confusion of the dad when a 14-year-old daughter comes up to him and says, Dad, I'm pregnant. Now, I have two daughters. Somebody's going to die <laughs> if my 14-year-old daughter shows up pregnant. I will start a prison ministry as quick as I start an evangelistic one, and my family will see me more. <laughs> Imagine the confusion when she said, and he goes, well, excuse, is this Joseph's? No, it, it's God's. It's, it's whose? It's God's. Imagine the confusion because Mary was actually betrothed. She was engaged to be married to Joseph. Imagine the confusion when Mary begins to tell Joseph as his heart is broken, thinking that she has cheated on him. Yet he was a just man and he sought to do away with her quietly. He was just going to just walk away. He could have had a public stoning of her. He could have had her killed because of this decision. And imagine saying, how could you do this to me? I loved you. I was, I was dedicated to you. I've been loyal to you. I've been faithful. How could you do this? I, I didn't cheat, Joseph. It, it's God's. You don't think there was any confusion there? You don't think there was confusion when heaven opened up as this child came forth and was born and placed in a manger? When heaven opened up and angels began to come down to and fro and wise men came because a star was born. You don't think there was confusion that when a 12-year-old walked into a synagogue and the scroll just happened in the reading to come right to him and at the very place where he's fulfilling scripture, blessed are the one who brings good news. You don't think there were confusion because these scholars, these, these religious men who had spent their entire lives, these doctorates, the ones that these historians, these theologians are standing there as they're watching this 12-year-old read the scripture as one who had education and learning, who had great wisdom. They said, who is this kid? Confusion. Imagine the confusion when Mary walked up to Jesus and said, they're out of wine. I love Jesus' response. He says, what's that have to do with me? Oh, but there's something special about a mama. I love that mama's. See, she, she ignored what he said. I love it. She said, listen, they're out of wine. He said, what does that have to do with me? I must be about my father's business. And instantly she went to the servants and said, just do whatever he tells you to do. And he says, get me some great big barrels of water. Now, that back then, you didn't drink the water. And so they brought him these barrels. He, he didn't have this fancy prayer. He, he just dipped this cup into the water. And he said, take this to the master of the house. Can you imagine the confusion and the nervousness of these servants about to take water to the master in a cup that could make him deathly ill? And they're taking it, probably shaking a little bit, a lot confused, going, what's going to happen? And we, we didn't see nothing. It just looks like water. And they hand it to the master, and he goes, what's this? And they said, Jesus told you just to drink it. Try it out. And he drinks it. And all of a sudden, the confusion of this master of the house who said, wait a second. Where did you get this? This is the best wine I've ever tasted in my life. Most people bring out the good stuff at first and then leave the, the lesser, the weaker, the cheaper stuff till the end. But who saves the best for last? Imagine the confusion when Jesus encounters a 
dad, a hurting dad who comes up to him and says, my daughter is about to die. I need you to come home with me. I need you to just pray for her. I need you to lay your hands on her because without you, she's going to die. He recognized who Jesus is. And he said, just come home with me. And in the midst of him following towards his house, Jesus encounters a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. A woman who had no right to touch him. It says in the scripture, it says she had spent all that she had and instead of getting better, she grew worse. And she thought to herself, if I only touch the hem of his garment, I don't need him to pray for me. I don't need to even have a conversation with him. If I just touch what's on him, then it will get on me. And she's just walking through the crowd and she touches the hem of his garment. And it says at once she was healed and immediately he turned around. You don't think there's some confusion because if at once she is healed and immediately she, he turns around, who would have been right behind him? He said, who touched me? Imagine the confusion of the disciples when they said, what do you mean who touched you? They're, you're in a crowd of a thousands people and, and who's touching you? There's a lot of people touching you. You know, what's crazy to me is the ones that should have been touching him were trying to stop everybody else from touching him. He said, who touched me? It wasn't just a bump. It wasn't just a, a brief encounter. Somebody reached into the very core of me and they left with power and virtue. Who touched me? And this woman, knowing that she could not hide what had happened to her, she comes to Jesus and said, it was me. And he said, daughter, notice these words, daughter, your faith has healed you. You know, as a preacher, I love proving the scriptures right. I wanted to know what a woman that had been bleeding for 12 years looked like, what her physical condition would be. So who better to know than to go talk to a blood specialist? And so I set up an appointment. I had to actually pay for an hour of her time and to, to, to ask her a couple of questions. So I walk in her office. I think I had to pay 159 bucks, which was a lot cheaper than Bible college. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and I walked in. I sat down, and she goes, are you, are you studying for, like, a doctorate? What, what, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm doing this study. And she goes, well, have some, you have about an hour. She said, ask your questions. I said, well, here's my first question. What would a woman that's been bleeding for 12 years look like? What would it be her physical abilities and disabilities? And she got this smug smirk on her face. And she goes, are you talking about the fairy tale called the Bible? And she said, by science, I can prove that that was fake. She said, because with every drop of blood is a drop of life. This woman had been not only just bleeding for 12 years, she had been dying for 12 years. And it is impossible to bleed for that long without your body beginning to shut down. She would not have lived. She said, here's what would have happened. Her organs would have begun to shut down. Her, her muscles, her tendons, her ligaments would have begun to crystallize. Her veins would begin to get hardened. Her, the marrow in her bones would begin to no longer be gummy, but it would begin to dry up. Her bones would become hollow and very brittle. Just standing up would crush the bones in her feet. And then the muscles and the ligaments would tear. Her skin, because of moisture with every drop of blood, is also a drop of water. She would have been severely dehydrated. And so her skin would have lost its elasticity. And so there Therefore, her bones would have burst and it would have burst through the skin, tearing it like tissue paper. And just sitting up in the morning would have wasted weeks worth of energy. And she looked at me and she said, you mean to tell me you truly believe that a woman in this condition pressed through a crowd of thousands of people, crushing the bones in her feet, ribs bursting, arms breaking, hands crushed, touched Jesus? 
she said, he said, or she said, she would be dead. It's impossible. And I looked at my watch and I still had 57 minutes. And I'm sitting there and I'm just just in my spirit. And I felt the Holy Spirit whisper in my heart. The first miracle that I did was not healing her, but keeping her alive long enough to get her to the healing. Can I tell you, some of you, you don't understand that God has had to do some miracles just to get you to where you are. And you feel like God has forsaken you, that God don't care about you. Do you realize that God had to do spiritual CPR on you just to get you to breathe this morning? It was a miracle her being alive just to get her to the place of the miraculous. But watch this. Let me just take it a little step further. This woman is in, in, in and, and she touches Jesus. Now, let me explain. This is where it gets really good. And I'm doing my very best to try to stay on the stage for the cameras. I was in Tucumcari. They, they have a, a running bet every week to see how far I go. I literally have been at the front door preaching during service just to throw all the bets out the window. But listen, here's a woman, because she's unclean, if she touches any, anybody that's clean, they're dirty for seven days, have to leave the city because of her ailment of bleeding. So she has to make an announcement every time she's around people, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. That way nobody touches her. Because if she's unclean and she touches somebody that's clean, they now become dirty. Now watch this. You know what's confusing to me is how can someone that's considered dirty touch someone that is so pure and clean? Now if I had mud all over me and I went and hugged Jace who was brand new and clean, I'd get what was on me on him. Right? Not with Jesus. Because something miraculous happens and confuses our, our mental mentality is how can something unclean touch something clean and become clean? She now could run up to him because now she's clean because Jesus had cleansed her. And in the middle of this, Jesus is dealing with this woman while this man, his daughter is dying. And he says, Jesus, thank you for touching her, but my daughter needs you. So they go on their way and somebody comes to this man and says, don't bother the master anymore. Your daughter is dead. And he tells him, he says, sir, he said, she's died. It's too late. And Jesus says, don't doubt. Just believe she's only sleeping. Imagine the confusion when Jesus shows up to the house where this family, this mom is mourning, where the doctor is filling out the death certificate because this 12-year-old daughter, isn't it crazy that a woman that was bleeding for 12 years and Jesus was, dealt with her while calling her daughter and said, your faith has healed you while going on his way to go minister to a 12-year-old girl who was dying. Can I tell you, Jesus is 12 o'clock noon while being 12 o'clock midnight. He don't have to go anywhere to do anything. He can touch a person that's bleeding while touching a person that feels like they're dying. He walks in. Imagine the confusion for a moment. I got to quickly go through this. Imagine the confusion when Jesus walks into the house and he kicks everybody out. Now, I don't know if you know this. The reason that Jesus kicked everybody out of the house was because I don't know. Anybody ever heard of a man by the name of Miriam Webster? Did you know Miriam Webster was an incredible man of God? The original translation of the Merriam-Webster's dictionary, he had two to three scriptures defining every word because out of the mouth of two to three witnesses, every fact is proven. So he used the scriptures to define words. In the original translation of the Merriam-Webster's dictionary, the word doubt means absence of God. 
So when Jesus... God shows up. Doubt cannot remain. Can I tell you, he walked in and kicked doubt out because God showed up. And all of a sudden, he kicks everybody out and they're out there mourning. The doctor's saying, who does this guy think he is? She's dead. And Jesus says, Talithi Kumi, little girl, come forth. And all of a sudden, breath entered this little girl's body and they walk outside. You don't think mom was confused from going from mourning to excited because what was once dead is now alive? You don't think the doctor was a little bit confused when he, what he called was dead is now standing in front of him? But it goes on. Imagine the confusion when Jesus is being beat. How does God get beat? How does God die? How does God bleed? Imagine the confusion. Even that was on the crosses next to him. One saw him as a king. The other one saw him as a fraud. And then Jesus dies. How does God die? Confusion. So these women, which comes to our reading today, these women, they had been following Jesus for years, and they just want to get as close to him as possible. They, they, these, these, the religious zealots, they, they, they've taken Jesus away, and now they just want to get as close to him as possible, even if it means going to the tomb and mourning him. They forget what day it is because of what they've been walking through, and they go to this tomb to just bring incense, to bring, to bring some, some gifts. And instead of finding the tomb with a stone in front of it, they find it empty. Imagine the confusion as this woman began to go, wait a second, it wasn't good enough that he killed them, but now they've taken him. Where have, what have they done? Which brings us to the culmination of this message. See, one of my greatest fears as a child that was on Christmas morning, I would wake up with such high anticipation and expectations of the gifts that I could find under the tree for me, but instead only to find that my behavior for the past year had been rewarded with coal or even worse, nothing would be under the tree for me. Constantly I was reminded I better be good because Santa was watching and making a list and if I wasn't good enough I would be on the naughty list and Santa would bring me coal for Christmas and in today's society we don't talk about coal. It would be like Santa's taking your phone charger. I found myself cringing at the melody of the song, I'm getting nothing for Christmas. As the lyrics echoed through my head, I would be reminded of all the wrong things that I had done. I'm getting nothing for Christmas. Mommy and daddy are mad. I'm getting nothing for Christmas because I ain't been nothing but bad. Seemed to perfectly describe my habitual behavior with such harsh reality of what I could anticipate receiving for Christmas that year. The fact was that I didn't try to be bad. But that type of behavior just seemed to come so natural for me. And no matter how hard I tried, I just seemed to fall short of being good enough. Christmas day would then fast approach and no matter how bad I had been, I always found gifts of grace under the tree for me. That turned my anticipation of disappointment into delight as each present I so desperately desired and earnestly asked for had been received. I quickly realized that the love was not based on me. It was placed on me. I don't know if you know this, but did you know that God actually created nothing? It's actually something tangible. Let me give you scriptural proof. John chapter 1 verses 3. God created everything through him and nothing was created except by him. I told you you're going to look at me funny. You're like, this guy's stretching scripture. He's taken out of context. Okay, walk with me. What is the greatest gift you've ever received? 
What made it the greatest gift? You needed it, you desired it, you desperately wanted it, its purpose, its usefulness, the enjoyment it brought, everyone else had it or nobody else had it. We sometimes base the value of our gift we receive on our desire for it. But what if I was to say one of the greatest gifts that we could ever receive is a direct byproduct of the greatest gift ever given to us is explained in John chapter 3 verses 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But can I tell you, Jesus didn't come empty handed. See, what is this gift I'm talking about? I'm talking about the gift of nothing. This gift would be something that you would confuse us and ultimately complain about if we were given it to, un to us to unwrap. I guarantee that you would look at me funny when holding this gift of nothing in your hands. But the truth is that this gift does not need to be wrapped or unwrapped. This gift simply needs to be recognized and embraced because what you do not recognize, you will never acknowledge. And once you recognize the value of this gift, you'll do everything in your power to never lose it. See, nothing as a gift would seem meaningless, cruel, humiliating, discouraging, confusing, frustrating, and even instigating to receive. But what if I was to say the greatest, one of the greatest gifts that you could ever receive is the gift of nothing? Let me define the word nothing for you. It means not anything, no single thing, of no value, not at all, none of anything, not a bit. But here's my favorite one, Nick, absence of attendance. Nothing means absence of attendance. It's not there. So ultimately, the question must be answered, is nothing actually something? I believe that nothing is actually something. I believe it truly is one of the greatest things that God ever gives us to us as, as, as his children. And until nothing is taken away, it's hard to comprehend how valuable nothing really is. Nothing is one of the most precious commodities that wealth cannot buy, wisdom cannot understand, and human ability cannot repair and create. And without nothing, did you know that our worlds would collapse? Job chapter 26, verses 7, he stretches out the north over empty space and he hangs the earth on nothing. Watch. You ever come to an altar? You ever been to a prayer time where you thank God for nothing? You're about to. What if nothing's wrong at home? What if doctors find nothing wrong with you or someone you love? What if nothing's discouraging you, nothing to be insecure about? What if you have nothing to be disappointed about? What if you have nothing troubling you, nothing to be sad about, nothing to worry about, nothing to be depressed about, nothing to be afraid of, nothing to be angry about? What if you're bound by nothing? What if you're addicted to nothing? What if you have nothing hurting? Nothing is actually something. And God created this, but so truly that you have nothing to lose. But once you lose it, it's hard to get, get back because nothing can quickly become something. What are you talking about? What if you have something wrong at home? What if you, doctors find something wrong with you or someone you love? Do you know that there's men right now that don't, they're not part of a church. They're not very religious, but they're in children's hospitals right now saying, God, please turn this into nothing. Let them find nothing on my child. Women right now saying, let there be nothing wrong with him. Let him not come home angry. Let him not come home in a bad mood. What if you have something discouraging you? What if you have something to be insecure about? What if you have something to be disappointed about? What if you have something troubling you? What if something is making you sad? What if you're worrying about something? What if you have something depressing, uh, depressing you? What if you're afraid of something? What if you're angry about something? What if you're bound by something? What if you're addicted to something? What if something's hurting right now? So the gift of nothing seems like wordplay, but in reality, it's not that at all. However, as the truth further unfolds, our eyes will be made open to see the greater understanding of why Jesus came and what he came with. See, Jesus was sent as a gift from the Father to mankind to be our Savior, our healer, and our deliverer. And when we think of Jesus as a deliverer, we think that he comes to take. Can I tell you, and I'm going to make some people mad. One of the most frustrating poems that I despise, Eric, is... 
footprints in the sand. I felt all by myself, and I turned around, and there was only one set of footprints in the sand. And I realized that he was carrying me. Show me in the scripture where he carried anybody. I'll eat the page, put him a hot sauce on it. He doesn't carry you. The problem is we expect God to do all the work. No, he empowers you to get up and walk through things that you normally couldn't walk through on your own. Can I tell you that he takes the things that are destroying us and he empowers us. That's why we're more than overcomers through the one who equips us by the word of our testimonies and, and the blam of God. You don't understand that he's trying to do something in your life, but there's something holding you back. Watch this. He didn't come to deliver you from. He came to bring something and deliver it to you. See, his life began in a borrowed manger. His life ended being nailed to a borrowed cross. And he was buried in and resurrected from a borrowed tomb. The scriptures declare throughout the gospels that Jesus came with nothing, lived with nothing, and ultimately died with nothing. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7, for he brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of this world. That day those women went looking for a body, but what they were originally searching for was not there. They were looking for the living amongst the dead. They were looking for life in dead places and in dead things. They found nothing in the tomb. However, what they found forever changed their lives and our lives. The Father gave us the gift of nothing and it was delivered by Jesus, Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of man and being humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, nothing is expensive and it was paid for by Jesus. And on the cross, that, that, that's where he wrapped it in the tomb. Nothing was there. The cross was simply, a lot of people worship the cross, but I need to remind you something. The cross did not save you. The one who died on it did. The cross is nothing more than the tool that God used to pry open the hand of hell that was on his children. So let's just talk about this just for a couple moments. Then we're going to jump into these altars. Watch this. See? The purpose of the cross was to rescue mankind, but the product of the cross was the restoration of mankind. But have you ever asked yourself the question, what was the purpose of resurrection? The resurrection was not for God, but it was for man. The purpose of the resurrection was not to rescue Jesus from death or even release him from the grave, but instead to reveal the restoration of all mankind. See, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus did not need the stone to be removed to get out. He needed the stone to be removed so that we could get in. And when they walked in that tomb, you know what was in there? Somebody needs to hear what I'm saying today. When they walked in that tomb, there was nothing. Absence of attendance. There was no sin. There was no regret. There was no shame. There was no death in that tomb. Jesus had paid the price and he left the gift of nothing. Nothing could separate us from the love of God. Nothing could stop us from becoming who God created us to be. See, he filled that tomb with nothing. And I don't know, I, I've never been there. I want to go to Israel. But can I tell you, go to the tomb. You know what you, know what you won't find? Jesus. I don't believe there's an ounce of his presence still in the tomb. Because when he got out, he got out. He took everything with him. And he left it filled with nothing. 
Nothing, no thing was in the tomb that could stop us any further from becoming who God created us to be his sons and his daughters. There was no regret, no shame, no sickness, no past, no failures, no mistakes, no behavior, no sin. Absence of attendance. All the things that have tried to discourage you, depress you, deflate you, destroy you were not there. The price had been paid. So that the gift of nothing could be left for all men to find. And that is why the angels were truly, what they were truly stating, what you're looking for is not here. You are looking for death. You are looking for disappointment. You are looking for something. But open up your eyes. Open up your hearts. Open up your minds. And realize what should be here is not. There is nothing here. Those angels. Watch this, Jace. These angels, I'm getting down. Imagine these angels. You're looking for something. And you're not going to find it here. It's only in Jesus. But remember. I need people in this room. Whether you're on the main floor. Or whether you're up there. Maybe you're at home right now. You need to remember what he has promised. Because a lot of times we forget what he has promised. And what he said gentlemen. Because of what we're going through. Those women. Jesus had said it over and over again. On the third day I will raise again. I will resurrect. But they forgot that it was the third day. Based on what they were going through. And how they felt. Some of you have forgotten the promises of God. That he has made for your life. That this will not come to this will not kill you but this too shall pass that no weapon formed against you will prosper that greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world that nothing is impossible for him you have forgotten what he said and I'm here to tell you it's time to remember harvest then they remembered this is the third day and we've been looking in the wrong places We've been looking in government. We've been looking in careers. We've been looking in relationship. We've been looking for money. We've been looking in all the wrong places. But there's nothing here that can stop us. See, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 10, having nothing and yet possessing everything. I went to the Lord in prayer and I said, God, I'm doing everything I know to do, but I feel like you're doing nothing. And there was silence. I was discouraged. I was deflated. I was depressed. I was ready to walk away from ministry. And all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to me after about 15 minutes and he says, you're right. I am doing nothing. I've been doing it for a long time. And I'm really good at it. And he reminded me for that, on that first November Sunday night in 1996 when I walked into a church bound on drugs. Still had alcohol on my breath. My marriage was over before it had ever started. I had a three-month-old baby girl. I had a 357 in my car and my bag packed. I was going to leave my family. And I walked into that church. I sat on the third row about... about Towards the end here, my bride was right about where you were. There was about eight foot gap between us. I didn't stand up during worship. I didn't raise my hand. I didn't pay attention. I can't tell you a song that was sung. I don't know when the preacher started preaching. 
But somewhere in the middle of that message, God grabbed a hold of me and he said, if you go forward, I'll change you. I said, God, if I go forward, I don't want to look the same, act the same, walk the same. I want you to change me. I'll go anywhere and do anything. I'll tell anyone about you. I didn't realize I was signing up for world evangelism. (laughs) But when you're desperate... preacher was still preaching he hadn't given his altar call yet you have to wait for the third prompting you have to be bribed begged or manipulated or coerced to come to the altar I stood up in the middle of the preacher preaching I went down to that altar I fell on my knees and I said God here am I I surrender it all he said I've been doing nothing for a long time you walked in with a whole lot of something he said you couldn't see nothing it looked invisible but can I tell you when you came to that altar and you fell at the foot of the cross you found a whole lot of nothing you're bound by nothing you're stuck by nothing you're depressed nothing there's nothing wrong with your marriage you're not there's nothing wrong with you I've healed you I've taken cancer out of your body Jamie oh yeah that's another sermon can I tell you September 7th 2021, I was diagnosed with late stage three, early stage four lung cancer. They gave me 30 days to live. 10 days later, I went into a scan and the doctor said, we don't know where it went. It looks like it was surgically removed, but there's nothing there. Jamie, I've been doing nothing for a long time. See, you look at this altar and you look like it's filled with nothing. But can I tell you, before the lights turned on, before the heater kicked on, before the worship team came, God, the Holy Spirit came and he had gifts of healing. He had gifts of peace. He had gifts of of joy. He had gifts of love. You can't see it because it looks like nothing. But come up here because nobody can get it for you. He said, I got a gift for you. And it'll change everything. Let me get the worship team to come on up. See, I love what the prophet Winnie the Pooh said. <laughs> Doing nothing often leads to the very best of something. See, I don't know what you're walking through. God's restored my marriage. I don't know what you're physically feeling. God's restored my life. I'm a walking dead man. So I better make sure that these breaths count. He's healed me. He set me free. I haven't had a drip of alcohol on on my tongue in 27 years. Not a drug. Can I tell you, it wasn't, it wasn't, I know there's some men here that are on Teen Challenge. Let me explain something. You can be in the very best environment, in the very best program, but that can't change your life. But your desperation and your surrender is what puts you in position for God to do things that no man can do. But you got to be willing to lay it down. See, there's a lot of people that come up to me and they say, man, I knelt in front of the cross. I gave my life to Jesus. Can I tell you, if your life resembles anything that it did before, You knelt because there were two thieves on the cross and there was one savior. And a lot of people kneel at the cross and they say, man, I gave my life to Jesus. Well, if your life resembles anything like it did before Jesus, you knelt at the wrong cross and you got ripped off. It changes everything. Y'all can start playing. That gives them hope. I'm almost done. (laughs) See, listen to what I'm saying. 
So today and for all eternity, I'm, etern I'm etern extremely grateful for the gift of nothing that God has given me. And I'm here to tell you that because of the gift of nothing, no thing can separate us from the love of God that is in us. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. So what do you think? With God on your side like this, how can we lose? If God did not hesitate to put his very best on the line, expect uh, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else that he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of his God's chosen? I don't know if you know this, but you are chosen of God. Who would dare even point a finger? The one who died for us is now raised to life for us and is in the presence of the Father at this very moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way, not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst of sins listed in Scripture. None of this faces us because Jesus loves us and I'm absolutely convinced. Beloved, are you absolutely convinced today? See that, you remember that song, I have decided. I have decided. That's a dark song. Because you don't understand what the word decided means. You know the word side means to murder, kill, and destroy? That's why it's attached to homicide, suicide, genocide. When someone decides to follow Jesus, it means the old man is dead and gone. And every day you have a resurrection and you need to put that old self and that old nature back to death. And when you follow Jesus, there's no turning back because the old man is dead and gone. I'm convinced that nothing, nothing living, nothing dead, nothing angelic, nothing demonic, nothing today, nothing tomorrow, nothing high, nothing low, nothing thinkable and nothing unthinkable. No drug, no past decision, no regret, no mistake, no shame, no sickness, no disease, no addiction, no depression, no stronghold, no insecurity, no doubt, no anger, no fear, no chain, no pain, no divorce, no scars, no past, no person, no distance, no deception, no rejection, no thing, no one, nothing. Absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love for us because of the way that Jesus, the master, has grabbed a hold of us I got gifts under a tree for me can I tell you that Jesus left you some gifts under that tree what do you need don't you dare carry into 2024 the things you've been carrying up to this point there's somebody in this room that needs to do a trade today you need to walk up to Jesus and with all the things you've been carrying all that something and you need to lay at his feet and all of a sudden he's going to take all that something and he's going to create that space for healing for joy for forgiveness for mercy for grace but you got to be willing give up the something to receive the nothing father today I preached what you told me to preach to the best of my ability but I am so grateful for all that you've done in my life and if you can do it in my life you can do it in theirs but I pray that you would even do greater things I pray that this altar would be filled with people that get saved, set free, delivered, and healed. I pray that marriages 
be restored. And what doctors could not do, you would do. I pray that you would break every chain, kick open every cage. And God, let this be one of the greatest days that we've ever experienced, that we never ex even thought existed. But Holy Spirit, I need your help. Have your way. All of this place, I want you to stand up with me. All over this place, I want you to stand up with me. I've been doing this real strange thing lately. I was telling Nick and Jace about this last night. We're good at giving Jesus the things that we don't want. Here's my sin, my regret, my shame, my past, my sickness. Jesus didn't die for your sin. He died for your life. And he wants it all. Not just the things you don't want. So I want you to close your eyes all over this place. Thank you, gentlemen. God's looking for men to begin to lead. And we can't lead until we're willing to step out of the circle. God's going to use you in ways that you never thought or imagined. Get ready. You're going to get it. I need some men right now. I need some men that have faith to believe for the impossible to come pray for my friend. No more appeals. God begin to shock these doctors right now. God, we need a miracle and you are the miraculous God. You can do what no man can do. No procedure can accomplish. No pill can fix. Jesus, let your blood be applied to his life. By your stripes, let him be healed today. We give you the glory, oh God. With your eyes, your eyes closed all over this place, men and women, I got to ask you a question. This is where it gets uncomfortable because I'm not going to ask you just to raise your hand if you want to give your life to Jesus or you want to be forgiven or you want to feel better. I'm going to ask you a question. Have you surrendered 100% of your life to Jesus? 100%, not 99, not 98, not 99.9, .9, not almost all, not most of it. Have you surrendered everything to Jesus? 100%. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to look at me because let me explain something. If you're not willing to make a decision and do it in here, you'll never live it out there. So here's what I'm gonna do, men and women that are still in your seats. If you're here and you can will willingly say and knowingly say, I have not surrendered 100% of my life to Jesus. There's some things that are still in my control. There's something that's been holding back. There's some things that I've kept to myself. And I'm gonna surrender it all today. If you're willing to give 100% of your life to Jesus today, on the count of three, I want you to leave where you are and I want you to come and stand at this altar. Whether you stand, whether you kneel, whether you lay face down, whether you come by yourself or you grab your family and you drag them to this altar and say, today we're giving God everything we got. On the count of three, I want you to give, to, to step out of your seat and I want you to get to this altar as fast as you can. If you're willing to say, I'm surrendering it all today. Some of you can't wait until I get to three. Some of you, it's God's been knocking on the door of your heart. The enemy's tried to keep you at bay. He's tried to keep you locked up and shut up and stopped.
But today you're saying no more. If you're ready to surrender 100% of your life to Jesus on the count of three, I want you to get down to this altar. One, two, three. I want you to get down to this altar right now. Every person that's willing to say, now I've been serving Jesus. I've been been trying to be faithful to him, but there's still some areas in my life. There's still some percentage of of my being that I've not given him control over. And I'm surrendering it all today. I'm surrendering some fears. I'm surrendering anxiety. I'm surrendering hurt. I'm surrendering. I'm surrendering some some bitterness. I'm surrendering some past. I'm surrendering some hurt. I'm surrendering some compromise. I'm surrendering. Come on. There's still some people that God's knocking on the door of your heart. He's saying, come. Don't miss this opportunity, beloved. See you better. Watch out, you better not lie. You better live right. I'm telling you why. Jesus Christ is coming real soon. He sees you when you're sinning. He knows when you're a fake. He knows when you've been bad or good, so be good for your own sake. He's making a list and checking it twice. Gonna find out who's living the life. Jesus Christ is coming. Are you ready to meet him, beloved? With your head. Don't miss this. If you're in your seat, you're telling me, number one, 100% of you is Jesus, and that's what my prayer is. Or number two, you're saying, this isn't for me. My prayer is that someday God would open up your heart and mind. But for the people that are in their seats and still in their rows that are 100% God's, I need your help. I need some people to begin to jump into these altars and begin to pray for some families, some men and some women, some teenagers. So every person that's 100% with Jesus, 100% sold out and surrendered. I need you to step out of your seat. Come down from the balcony. Come out of your seats and jump in these altars and begin to pray. Because you don't know the miracle that the person that you're going to lay your hands on. How big of a miracle they truly need. Some of them barely made it to church today. Some of them barely found the ability to breathe today. Come on. Worship team, I'm going to ask you to begin to release a sound. We're just going to spend a couple of moments praying right here. And then Pastor Jace is going to come up here and begin to dismiss you. But beloved, just take a couple moments. Don't get in a hurry to leave. Don't leave until God's done absolutely nothing in your life. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Fellowship Podcast. For more information, visit harvestabq.org.